Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is Jenny Costa, founder and CEO of Ruby's in the Rubble, the food business that sees wonder where others see waste. Since launching in 2012, Ruby's in the Rubble with Jenny at the helm has become one of the pioneering voices in food sustainability with an award-winning range of gooder condiments created from products that could otherwise go to waste. In just a decade, the company has saved over 350,000 individual pieces of fruit and vegetables from the bin, taking food diamonds in the rough and turning them from rubble into Ruby's. Jenny, welcome to Changemakers. Thank you. Now, I've got to say, I can't possibly give you, what can I say, an impartial interview because here I am with Ruby's in the rubble, straight out of my fridge, for those that are listening. I interviewed Jenny just before COVID, thought I'd try it. It's never been out of the fridge since. So congratulations on turning me into a ketchup addict, Jenny. <laughs> oh, that brings music to my ears. We've just launched a new product, which I'm going to get get over to you very shortly. Do you know what I think about this is that, you know, I, one of the investors in Unilever sort of recently just said, well, how can you have a purpose in, in mayonnaise? And I was thinking, well, I'll speak to Jenny because she's found, she's found purpose in ketchup, right? I think you can find a purpose in anything. In fact, if you don't have a, everyone has a purpose. Whatever you do, you've always got a reason for existing. It's just trying to dive down on what exactly that is. Tell us about goodism. Goodism was a term we brought up. We were trying to explain or put in a nutshell what we do and really we make good things gooder and in in a way of when I look at a food product I want to make something that's better tasting better for you but better for the planet and Mm. especially I started rubies on better for the planet or gooder for the planet I should say I mean and I love this idea I mean you you, it says on the side of the jar packed with purpose I mean for those I mean I, I I know what you do and 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 I love it because it it tastes wonderful, but you also know that actually it's made by doing wonderful things. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, the the approach in terms of how you go from thinking about this product to getting it into bottles, to getting it into homes and restaurants, all the rest of it. Well, I had a, a strange start, I suppose, to, to Ruby's. I was working in a hedge fund at the time, but I'd been brought up on this small, sustainably minded farm. My parents are, my mother's an artist and pretty wacky, but always keen and in the vegetable garden. And my father left the city when I was two and decided he wanted to be a farmer. And mm. so we headed up to Scotland and it was always installed in me to do something that you love and you're going to, everyone strives and does best when they're, when they're really ticking and when they're doing what they love. And I've always been trying to find that, but I went off, I did math, mathematics at university. I love maths and then ended up in this hedge fund. And after two years, I was thinking there's, there's nothing in this. I love the people I worked with, but there's nothing that was making me tick. Mm. And I read an article about bin divers one night and uh, talked about people getting a arrested trying to go into the back of the supermarkets to take food that was perfectly good but out of the sell-by date and it got me thinking about supply and demand of food and food being perishable and what happens to food that is, there's no demand for you've got unpredictable weather on one side unpredictable humans on the other side and supermarkets in the middle showing everything in beautiful piles of ample um, abundance and if it's not consumed then being perishable where does it go and it started my whole research into food waste mm. I, got, I became I became one of those annoying people I could see people rolling their eyes as I talked about it but I was, I was one of those just I couldn't stop talking about it of just how much 
We were wasting a third of what we what we produce globally. We plan to double our food supply by 2050 to feed the expected 9 billion on the planet. And yet we're still just wasting. And, and why mm. do we not value food? Is it because we can afford to now waste and we're all affluent enough? For it's, it in it's an incredible thing when you think about it in terms of our attitude to waste. I mean, we'll go on to that because obviously that takes us directly into the to the product. But I was reading that, I mean, you, you mentioned the hedge fund job possibly along the way you got some good advice from your boss he said make sure you do it full-heartedly I was reading I mean I mean I suppose for aspirant entrepreneurs listening to a show like this is that you can't be half-hearted I guess is is your story is it he he was amazing actually my well because it was it was a bit of a joke I was 25 telling people around the office that I was leaving to go and make chutney which most people do when they're retired everyone found hilarious and back in 2002 10 11 food waste was this hippie bin surviving mm. notion penny pinching and what did they say what did they, 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 they everyone was just cracking up and yet he just said you know whatever you do go for it full-heartedly and fail fast because you can always have an idea or a dream and you sort of hold on to it or you you create a reason for why it didn't work and i found that really useful it, mm. it like, I threw everything into it and he's like at least you can then turn around and say i tried it I learned masses, didn't work. And now I'm going to go and start something brand new or fresh. So you started something brand new. I'm thinking about, so we're back in the startup phase about 10 years ago. I mean, were you at that point where you just thought, well, if the worst comes to the worst, I can go and get a job? Or, or, or were you sort of more kind of risk aware in terms of the journey? How, how did you approach it? Glass half full, glass half empty? No, I, I was really, glass was overflowing. I, overflowing? I, <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited for this new venture and people throughout the years, people have often asked me, especially if they're thinking of starting something, oh, why weren't, what, what about, why weren't you worried that it wasn't going to work or the fear of leaving something to start something new or leaving a job? I think at the time, so stripping back what fear actually is, is just the fear of man and mm-hmm. which is ridiculous, really. It's the fear of people thinking you're a failure or that girl that left a great job to go and start something that flopped. Really, it's, it's, worried about what people think of you and so is there an advice because you know I mean obviously it speaks to I guess anxiety of a fear of a future that that hasn't happened in terms of will I will I fail or, or not I mean it sounds to me like you've you've always had a fair, you know, had your head screwed on on this in terms of the journey. What, what's the advice you'd give in terms of how to how to keep balance? I mean, that is one of your lockdown list ambitions, I know, in terms of finding balance. What what what, what have you learned? I know that I'm not very good unless I do things. You know, I have my own time out. I've, I've got seeing friends, let my hair down. So making sure, I think. I think there'll be a lot of people that resonate with this, that lockdown's taught them a lot of how productive you can be when you when you get that balance right. And I think when you're starting something new, it's very hard to get that balance because you're struggling. There's no cash coming in. I was really fortunate. I had no formal commitments. So I've got, I've got children now. I didn't have children. I, I didn't have a mortgage. And I think, again, that piece of advice, if, if you're going to go for it, don't don't let it just tinker on. Like Go for it full-heartedly. Do it, do it soon. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's just go back to this issue then about about food waste because it, it strikes me in terms of some of the interviews that I've had is that you know there is a 
you know, there is this terrible thing going on where people are just chucking out huge amounts of food from their refrigerators every every week. And of course, the stores with, with sell-by dates. And yet, when you think about the process of growing and farming and nurturing over the course of seasons, to think that its ultimate destination is the bin. I mean, what I'm trying to get to, I suppose, is if I was interviewing a farmer, I suppose I would understand the connectivity. And of course, you grew up on the farm. But I'm sort of thinking about the journey from, you know, Jenny, the hedge fund trader to Jenny, the food campaigner in terms of the trigger. I mean, what was there a moment where you just thought, I'm going to, going to do something about this? Definitely. I, th- I think um, seeing perfectly good produce going to waste by the tonne with your own eyes was mm. was was a real shift. I started going along to wholesale fruit and veg markets in London around 4am before work. And you'd go in and see containers or shipments of bananas coming in and either the temperature or the bananas had over ripened or that the, 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 the summer season had changed and the demand for tomatoes had suddenly dropped and there was pallets and pallets of tomatoes and then going to visit farmers. And I think when you hear and, and when you, you're really aware of how much work is going on and that food is just natural and it comes mm. out of the ground, governed by the weather, you get one frost and you suddenly get some some mark, markings on the apples or they, they shrink down from grade one to grade two and they can't afford to pick them anymore. Or um, you get russeting or any of these funny reasons that the, the taste is still there and yet they're being discarded without reason. I also have this belief and a love for the planet. I think I've been brought up in the wild or always camping or hiding out in trees or, and and I yearn for that nature as well and mm-hmm. feel that we have a planet that is so beautiful and it's so abundant and it can feed the whole the whole planet but yet we're well, well it's, it's funny while you were speaking I was thinking you know how how does the cost of living crisis play into this because you know I suppose the model for that for that sort of food cycle has been abundant cheap food where you know I suppose driven by supermarkets and and others where their primary sort of quest has been to deliver perfection rather than actually perfectly acceptable food but do you think do you think what we're living through might change our attitude where baskets you know prices change I I just wonder what might be the triggers that create the bigger moment of consciousness and the shift in attitudes to the way we we, we, you know we, we live with food yeah I mean this food has such an impact from so many different areas in society there's some that can't afford to eat you have food banks you have then the waste on one side you have deforestation you have the the huge carbon footprint that comes with food as well it's a really hard one to actually tackle properly and there's there's a lot that i think i mean the government has been paying for us or paying for us to eat for generations with Mm -hmm. subsidies for farmers and we never pay the true price of growing food in this country and actually if you put the price up to the true price it might it might really turn make people aware of of what they waste and and valuing it as well it wasn't Mm -hmm. oh it was a couple of generations ago when food was around 40 percent of our income that we would spend on it and now it's under 10 or under eight i think um so i can see why that value on food is is decreased but i'm hoping that it'll have the same movement as the plastic bags the keep cups the sort of reusing that an environmental educated trigger might start happening where you wouldn't of course you wouldn't leave a restaurant without your doggy bag and you'd make sure you have that for leftovers for for the next and and this is about 
changing attitudes, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I, you you mentioned Tristram Stewart is is uh, your favourite author in 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 your list. I interviewed Tristram and, and he said something about you know we've got to make Saving Planet the greatest party of all. So things like doggy bags, all the rest of it, it's it's got to there's got to be a seismic shift in attitude and culture to get this right hasn't there yeah i think i think especially in the developed countries i mean especially in the uk and like uh, similar countries it's got to be that attitude of I, i'm going to value this and i see the value in this and this is a natural product and what goes into my body is, is who i am as well so let's make let's make food the hero and and really start enjoying our local community our seasons eat it when it's a natural glut but then there's also the other side of, of food is also part of this huge global ecosystem mm. um, and the the more we waste the more land that we need to keep on producing food and then wasting a third of it the more water we need the more deforestation the bigger the carbon footprint as well so i, th- I think it is managing that on a huge scale as well i mean one of the things i i sort of think about when i think about your your business is that i've followed you long enough to see that you are one of a host of b corporations so ethically minded businesses and there really seems to be provenance in food amongst the b corps i mean you could have a hell of a dinner party with 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 the businesses in 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 the B Corp sort of family. I mean, is it because do you think do you think it is this kind of relationship with nurturing, you know, the creation of food? Is is that what's driving, I suppose, that particular that particular sort of cohort of members? And and, and I suppose does that make you feel emboldened that there are more businesses more like-minded businesses now that are trying to create positive change as a result oh it's so exciting this the foods area i mean it's a really exciting place to be playing in. there's so much change happening at the moment sometimes you feel like you're taking a step backwards but in actual fact the, the interest from especially the next generation as well of what what they consume how they consume it where they take it from what's the story what's the people are expecting a lot more and i think it's happening from businesses and I think it's happening much quicker in the food and drink industry and I don't know if it's because there's so many connotations that go around food of of your family moments together how you interact how Mm. you share and also breaking bread together companionship and yeah Mm. um it's, it's a great area to be playing in I mean I'm just thinking last time you and I were together I was interviewing you just before covid and you know I I thought this is an entrepreneur who we're going to you know hear a lot from and as 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 indeed we have but in terms of what you've learned about yourself going through a pandemic I mean I know you you've just recently had COVID I mean but do you think it's changed anything for you and for business and you know Carl Schwab calls it the the great reset the rethink about what we're all here for I mean do you think we've reached the existential moment as a you know group of people well yeah I mean I think COVID's probably put the most amount of stress that most people will feel for for decades um on on families and some of it I don't think even people realize the tensions and the changes. Us as a business, we had a huge change. We pivoted our whole whole focus. We were all on, on restaurant focus. And then mm. we had our new manufacturers get into the right formats, launch into, into retailers. And actually we, we learned a huge amount in that in that time. I think the biggest learning was from the team of keeping a really strong culture as well. And and then I had somebody very close to me going through mental a mental illness. And I think that was the a huge big learning from my side of refocusing what's important in life as well and that no one is indestructible and we're, we're all going at 110 miles an hour often and and let's get to the right speed where we can really enjoy and appreciate each other again and and that, well that that is the hope of a more conscious environment isn't it and, and i guess 
does that flow through then that the conscious consumer is on the rise and and actually what what does that make you feel about your business and where you might take it yeah especially i mean it was very exciting to see what happened in homes when you think of food waste and you think of how we consumed people had so much more time um or a lot of people had time maybe families under one roof trying to get things done was was harder but in general people were cooking from scratch they were being forced to, to slow down a little bit more um and it did it did make you look at how you consumed and what you normally what what you buy how you buy who you buy from and i hope that there's a lot of sticking points that have changed from that even mm. the way what you really value because sometimes we're going at such a rate that you don't even know what what you really need and sometimes that for me definitely stepping out of the city I yearn and I love the countryside and I, I need my wild swimming and I need those cycles and getting outside and without that it, it I really struggle with it mm. but I suppose you know that's a wonderful existence there's also an existence that is only possible if you you know if you're living in cities it's quite often very very difficult and, and, and what I'm sort of wondering is if you'd asked me six months ago what would be the number one thing on people's minds about the future? You might argue, well, the climate and and the planet, definitely. Mm. Health security, you know, how do we we not get get ill? I don't think I would have put put food security on my list. But, you know, we're obviously speaking at a time where two massive food producers are at war with each Mm. other in, in Russia and the Ukraine. I mean, lots of things that might mean we have to completely rethink our relationships in, in quite a painful way. I mean, is it that I'm sort of wondering that the job of brands to sort of lead the way here in terms of the big change that needs to happen to get it right? What, what, what's your thoughts? I, th- I think it's got to be a, a, a role for everyone. I mean, Brexit, for example, is going to be causing, uh, will, will cause a lot of changes with pricing. And I mean, I be- believe that we live in a capitalist society. So I believe that brands do have a huge role to change uh, to play and that the consumer does as well that we can through marketing and how we create brands you create the future for the people Mm. to buy into and I think there's a that's that's the wonderful shift that seems to be happening that there is this demand coming from consumers and brands are starting to fill it and the more brands start to fill it the more expectation comes from consumers and we get that wonderful connection with what good looks like and what expectations come from a business but it also has to come with a a lot of government and corporate change as well. It's interesting. I mean, you did, you know, you, you use the word capitalism and, and, you know, quite quite rightly so. I mean, but when you use phrases like business as a force for good or, or a force for change, you know, there are lots of people that, that will listen to an interview like this and go, yeah, but it's all a bit niche, isn't it? It's not it's not really mainstream. There's, there's you know, there's lots of examples of the unacceptable faces of, of, of capitalism and, and all the rest of it. I mean, I suppose my, my question is a simple one with a very complicated potential answer. I, are we getting better? Oh, I mean, there's there's people in history, I think, that have ch- made huge change. I, I'm, I talk about Paul Pullman a lot because he mm. was so brave in how he transformed and went up against all of his stakeholders at Unilever and made 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 a huge change and a huge step at a time where people weren't really making those steps. And I think the more big businesses do to make those changes, I, th- I think we are going in the right direction. There's, of course, going to be, we've got to be reasonable as well. People have got to afford to live. We've got to afford to eat. You've got to feed population there seems to be something new every three three months at the moment of Mm. horror and devastation and it's a hard one to to make change but i suppose listening to the doubters you know that see purpose as a social tax 
mean, I mean, is it an economic engine as well? Do you think in terms of better business? Because a lot, lots of people, you know, will say, well, look, I, I get it, but it's not what business is for because you can't make money out of it. I mean, what, what what's your repost to the to the delta? I think I think you have to, at the core of a business, have a purpose um, in mind. Otherwise, it's a very hard push up a hill. And it's it's certainly we've had in time and time again people saying you would have grown so much faster if you'd just talked about food waste and not actually embedded it in every product. So I think to make real change, you have it has to start with the people internally in the business, and mm-hmm. businesses are just a team of people. But I I think when you think of long term as well and the future of our planet and the costs of taxing which will come into play on environment then there's also a real business case as well to mm. it and and also that changing consumer demand and and it's really interesting because i i think jenny that you you always when i think about this in terms of people that have used business as the tool you know if i, if I was speaking to you know jenny a decade ago you might have you know, you might have been a campaigner in an NGO, you might have gone into politics, I don't know, there could have been a a number of pathways that you could have chosen to have, you know, taken on the challenge of waste, you've Mm -hmm. chosen business as the outlet for that. And I think in terms of the kind of what drove you to see this as the tool that could affect change, I think I'd love to know, because I think it it might inspire others in terms of thinking, well, actually, business could actually help me get some things I really want to see done in the world and and use my talents in life to achieve it. I've always believed that every purchase that you have is is a way of showing what future you want for the planet or or for how you how you live. And I think that business having something sustainable that people can can buy into and you can create a huge movement around it. You can educate through it. You can have a base to telling your story and to doing good and doing change and showing that there is a different way. I think that's a huge strength to it. I, 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 lo- I love that phrase, by the way. Every purchase is really your, your view about the future world you're trying to create. Well, yeah, I, I, we, we as consumers, I don't think people realise how, how, especially as a small business owner, but how influential your purchase is and how you choose to spend your money. And, and I think I've always had that belief right at the very beginning. Someone said, just to create a charity. And I was adamant that this was going to be a for-profit business that could start and alongside any other product on the supermarket shelf compete but also have a purpose to it that people hopefully will fall in love with once they find out that um, but we've now got we now that we've launched into ketchups as well before we were very much relishes mayonnaises but we've got a huge ambition in the ketchup i feel like it's an untapped market that's been sitting there well untapped it's been tapped away at but 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 by giants and but i have to tell you i mean i feel completely compromised as your interview because it is the best ketchup without question <laughs> i mean i think the fruit just does marvels with it I mean, it's it's quite. I mean, I mean, my girls are, are completely. They completely love it. I mean, it's and I suppose. How far can you take this though? I mean, are there, in, in terms of say condiments, ketchups, mayonnaises, lots of. Where, where else could you take this? Do you think? I mean, we, I I feel like the concept of rubies in the rubble of valuing what you've got and ensuring that nothing's wasted could be taken across all sorts of platforms. I love condiments because it's the natural way of preserving. So it's, mm-hmm. it really fits as well with taking a fruit and veg that's perishable and giving it. A extended shelf life of two years and also added value but for our immediate I, I want to jump in that catch-up market to me I want to take five percent in the next three years across the UK and and go off and show that there is a, a better catch-up out there and something that people will I love hearing that your girls love it because it's our biggest challenge that 
if you can tr- convert a child and make them switch, it's an easy. Is, is that the key? Do you think? Because I was just wondering how how do you do that? What are the tipping points to actually build market market share? Because I interviewed Paul Lindley on the Ella's Kitchen founder. I mean, and I think there are similarities in this story. Actually, was that he just he looked at the established brands and just went, "There's a better way." Mm-hmm. But actually, he needed the tipping point audiences. So yeah. I'm wondering, are my, are my kids the are my kids the sort of the the, the advocates for uh, for the brand? I think kids are because <laughs> they're the ones that go home and sort of and also for us it's for me personally anyway it's a huge education part of educating the next next generation to care about food and the food waste and that angle but but also from a consumption point of view families are huge ketchup consumption consumers in the in in their household and I prefer a child to be having something that's got double the fruit half the sugar and also helping the planet. Mm. So we've got time for two quick questions. So I'd like to finish on your best tip for life and your quote for life. And I'll, I'll just, do you want me to, I'll, I can read them out just in case you haven't got them to hand, but best tip for life, listen to your gut. The best decisions you will make in life are not made on facts. Pick up the story, Jenna. <laughs> I think anyone that knows me well, it's the way I, I do life. I've never put a business plan together unless I've really been forced to for, for investment sake. But most of my, I mean, the starting rubies in the rubble was on gut. Who I married on gut, everything I think is just, I think if you can really know yourself and know how things don't, don't often, the facts don't often line up. But you Right. Know. Are there ever moments where your gut doesn't serve you well in terms of instinct? Over the ice cream or the spinach for... for <laughs> dinner maybe no I I think in general I think it's quite I think it's very easy to then cloud the voice of your gut in terms of worry kicks in fear kicks in reason Mm. but actually often you'll look back and realize that it was always the first thing that you should have done or you've gone around in a circle and got to the same place and then followed it in the end it's interesting a mathematician I know it's so instinctive like that I'm very instinctive. I've I, I think it's sort of a quick reason and then and then go for go for what feels best. Mm. And a quote for life. I I this one really got me thinking actually don't hold on to things too tightly. Yeah, this was this was something I think I've I mean I've had it with rubies as well when I've gone through really hard times and and I used to, we used to laugh internally when it was really tough. And sometimes you say, no, it's, at least it's not healthcare. It's no one's going to, you know, it doesn't matter. We just do our best. And at the end of the day, if we will turn around and just say it just hasn't worked, mm-hmm. let, it, let it go. I think I think similarly, sort of this feeling of we're here to just try and make the best we can and do the best we can, but don't break, a, you know, bust your gut doing it. Make sure that your, your family, your friends, you are looked after in the meantime. And, and it's about the journey and enjoying it rather than, than t- too much of a constant uphill struggle. Oh, Jenny, what an absolute pleasure to speak with you now. We've done our allotted half hour and, I, and I'm, I'm feeling that my Ruby's in the rubble tomato ketchup probably needs to find its way back to the fridge. So, Jenny, thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you very much. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?